baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, the National League East, and maybe a little bit of what else is happening around the world of baseball. To help me do it again this week, I'll have Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as we'll talk about the highs and the lows of the Braves' recent homestand. There were some of both, but I think the highs from the Cubs series certainly erased the lows of the Diamondbacks series. we got a whole bunch of Braves news and notes to get into, some great statistics, and some really fun stories, and we'll be getting started with that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Those help out the show immensely. If you want to follow along on social media, Twitter is my weapon of choice. You can find me at Grant McCauley there. You can also find the show at From the Diamond underscore. On Instagram, you can find me at Grant McCauley and the show at From the Diamond with no underscore. And you can follow Gabe Burns on Twitter at Gabe Burns AJC. And, of course, all the videos, all the interviews, the podcasts, and all the articles, anything else I can throw at you, you can find it at FromTheDiamond.com. So to talk about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, I want to welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution back into the show. As always, you can follow him on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. Gabe, it was an interesting homestand, I'd say, for the Atlanta Braves. There were some lows, but I would say more highs than lows, and that's always a good thing when you're playing in your home ballpark. No doubt. I think that that really sums up the – highs and lows of baseball season in one homestand. It really does. I think April's been a little bit of the highs and lows, not just for the Braves, but if you look across baseball, and we'll get into the standings in the National League East a little bit later, but things haven't really come into focus exactly the way you would have thought. In other words, some of the people you might expected the big things from, well, you might not have gotten that just yet. Some, of course, you have, but overall, it's been an interesting month for the Atlanta Braves who head into the final weekend of the month of April as we record this show when they head down to Florida for a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, not in Toronto, though, obviously, in Florida, in Dunedin, which is the home ballpark in spring training for the Blue Jays. So that should be interesting for the Braves. But just closing out this month on a high note after a homestand that I think has to have you feeling at least more good than bad about where the Braves are currently trending. I would agree because you look at, you know, the low point of that homestand was that Sunday doubleheader and the way that this team rebounded. You know, you take three out of four against the Cubs and the offense looked the way it did in those games. I would certainly say you come away encouraged because as as horrible as that performance was Sunday, it only counted for two games, right? Right. I mean, that's the bottom line, two games in a 162-game season, and certainly it was one of the worst offensive days in the history of this club. But, again, the way they rebounded, they did everything that you could really ask for them to do. And we've seen it over the last three years from this team, how good they are at rebounding from those lows. And this just kind of confirmed that, yeah, this team can still do that. So yeah. I think that you do leave the homestand, despite those points, feeling pretty good overall. 
Yeah, this has been a resilient club over the years, especially with Brian Snitker at the helm. And I think that's a good thing, of course, for a club. But as you mentioned, Sunday was a bad day at the office for the Braves. They got one hit in game one of the doubleheader, seven inning no hitter spun at him by Madison Bumgarner in day two. But uh, Gabe, as you were alluding to, the beauty of the game of baseball is there's a new game tomorrow. And I guess until there's not one, until the season's over. So a new opportunity for the Braves to turn the page. And that's exactly what they did in beating up on the Cubs. But before they got that series started, after their tough weekend against Arizona, Dansby Swanson turned to burning sage, I think in the clubhouse, uh, around the field, all around the ballpark, we'll just call it that, in hopes of exercising some of the demons that the Braves' bats were dealing with against Arizona. And as you mentioned earlier, taking three out of four from the Cubs, the offense was front and center there as the Braves won three out of four in a very convincing fashion. They climbed back into first place this week, which of course is noteworthy. It hasn't been pretty getting here in the month of April, but there are a lot of things to be encouraged about, and the Braves being in first place as the month is closing out, that I think is where people were expecting to see them, at least if you were to poll the fans coming out of spring training. Yeah, they've been fortunate that the NL East is kind of, no one's really found their footing yet, right? right. I mean, that's really been great for them because a lot, a lot of people consider the Mets to be the most likely team to upset them. But the Mets are having their own issues. Of course, we all know about their problems scoring runs when DeGrom yeah. is on the mound. They lose that game to Boston the other night. And we'll see about the Phillies as well. Obviously, the Phillies had some success early. They sweep that opening series. But uh, this is a really, really long season. We're only a month into this. We know that the Braves are better than most of what they showed this month. Mm -hmm. There's been injuries. There's been underperformance. So you can just look at this and just process-wise, you can feel pretty good about where this team is. And you can feel really good that they haven't really lost any ground. They're just... (laughs) just rolling the month over here. So they're just they're right there. And I think that that's really about when you consider all that was working against them, realistically, this was about the best case scenario. For yeah. Them. And there are times throughout the 162 game season where kind of the best that you can do, I don't care what club you are. I don't care what division it is. I don't care what year, what decade, what period of baseball it is. Sometimes you just got to tread water to get through some challenges. The Braves have had those injury challenges early on. As you said, they had some underperformance, especially offensively speaking, but underneath that overall, I think, immediate takeaway of, hey, the team's not clicking, there are some positive signs when you start looking at the advanced metrics on how the Braves' offense is hitting the ball and start believing that some of these hits are going to start to fall, they're going to start to find some gaps, and those are good things. They are leading the National League in homers. At least they were heading into that finale against the Cubs. That may have changed, of course, because that was not the biggest night at the ballpark for the Braves' offense on Thursday. However, I do think you got to feel good about what the offense is capable of once it gets rolling. And as I said on the show a week ago, I think the Braves have a stride that once they hit it, there may not be another team in the National League East all around that's going to be able to keep up with them, save for maybe the Mets who have DeGrom and an otherworldly pitching staff. But they got a lot of questions to answer, of course, themselves. But before we delve too much into the National League East, before we get too much into the Braves offense, which we will get to, I want to start with a guy who's been making a pretty good case to spend the season in the Braves' rotation, and that, of course, is Waskar Enoa. We knew he was going to get some opportunities, Gabe, because he's too talented, and the Braves were going to find a place for him, but he's taken this chance to start every fifth day, and he's turned into one of the club's best starting pitchers. 2-1 and one with an ERA just over three in his five starts, 26 and a third innings, and this is a stat I love. Five walks against 34 strikeouts, opponents hitting below 200 against him. Uh, Gabe, you've watched this guy up close. We've been watching him for a couple of years. We've always heard about how special this arm is, but we're seeing firsthand what Waskar Enoa is capable of, and I think the Braves and their fans are very much happy with what they're seeing right now. They should be. I mean, what a cool story. I mean, just his emergence, 
He comes up last year, and I imagine most people really didn't know anything about him. He was not a heralded prospect. He was not in the same vein as a Kyle Wright or you know Mike Soroka or any guy who was a top level guy. So it's been really cool. That slider is awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just he's really he's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, not only has he looked really dominant at times. I mean, he's just a fun pitcher to watch work. And this is what this team needed. I mean, they said it last year, too, and they've said it this year, like they just needed a couple of guys to emerge. That's just what they're betting on. That's the financial, the roster situation that they were in. They needed, they have these young guys. If it's Bryce, if it's Kyle, if it's whoever it is, and he looks like he's doing it. And for at least a month, he's been exactly what they needed. And, you know, if Ian Anderson wasn't so dominant, he would be their best starter. You could argue he is. Mm -hmm. He's their 1B, you know? So, so for him to be making the strides that he's making, um, now that you know Soroka's going to be out longer, obviously they had the Smiley injury, and, and we'll kind of see how his performance, you know, you would think it's going to improve. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. But to have a Noah producing the way he is is just a really, really great development for this team. And the fact I think he's 22 years old. So you're yeah. looking at a guy here who, I mean, this could be, <laughs> that Jaime Garcia trade, it looks like it's really going to pay off for this team. Uh, it really does. And what's crazy is if you think about it, the Twins had Jaime Garcia, I think, for one start before they flipped him as well. So, Huascari Noah, when you talk about a rental player and the prospect you might get for a rental player, this is kind of uh, reinventing what that deal can look like. And the Braves, they took a chance on a guy with a lot of upside. It was a stuff arm and somebody that you want more talent as you're trying to work your way through a rebuild. And they felt good about just the overall abilities that he know I had, even if he hadn't shown it and hadn't been, you know, the heralded prospect, you know, being a first round draft pick or the pride of an international signing pool where he got the most money. And you may not have gotten that guy in terms of the overall uh, resume and a lot of the platitudes that can be thrown at talented young players, but all he's done is go out there and make the most of his opportunity. And you have to like that kind of thing. And as you mentioned, and as I have written down on my paper here, this is exactly the kind of thing that the Braves needed amidst a slew of early injuries in rotation. You're going to be waiting, I think, probably another month for Mike Soroka. If everything goes according to plan, I think he's going to need those minor league rehab starts at this point. And, oh, by the way, minor league baseball season is about a week away. So feeling kind of good about that whole thing coming back. And you know that Mike Soroka was going to need to test it out against opposing lineups and some teams that were going to be looking to do some damage rather than just a couple of sim games. So it'll be interesting to monitor that. It'll be interesting to follow up on how the Braves rotation looks as they deal with injuries, which are probably not going to be just in the month of April. There are things that happen throughout the course of the season, but loving the way that Waskar Enoa has been pitching in the early going. And I don't know that there's a case game to be made right now that you could take this guy out of the Braves rotation anytime soon. And you're going to have some interesting decisions to make if you're Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snitker about what your rotation is going to look like when and if you can get it up to full health. And they'll welcome that challenge, right? I mean, when Soroka gets back, I mean, they're they're going to enjoy trying to figure that out. That's a good problem to have. If, Anoa's, if he's pitching the way he's pitching, obviously he will not be out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly can't move him because of two. It, you know, just more about his development. If you use the eye test, this is a guy he's aggressive, He's confident. Like, he really has checked every box you could imagine. It's another example, too, of just the way people develop at different speeds, right? We've, we've seen how frustrating Kyle Wright's outings can be with pounding the strike zone. We've seen the ups and downs for Bryce Wilson. And, and with Noah, it's really just uh, in his first real full season, it's just really clicking. Um, and so that's really cool to see. And if he's going to keep doing this, obviously you're not going to take him out of 
rotation, but it, it could be a really good problem for this team to have. But there's no reason to rush Soroka back, so they'll be okay there. Just be patient. Obviously, he's been through a lot. I can't imagine how he's feeling mentally. He's a strong guy, but, you know, obviously this must be frustrating. But if they can get him back and kind of, you know, work him in slowly and get him up to speed, it's going to be a kind of a trade deadline addition. Sure. Um, probably, obviously, a little bit earlier than that, they're hoping, but uh, it'll certainly be a big boost for them. Yeah, it most definitely will be, and that's the hopes that the Braves can get him back and have that. I think it's the best problem to have is, hey, we got too many good arms and not enough spots to use them. Trust me, they'll find a spot to use these guys. They'll make the decisions that they need to, and if Waskari Noah is one of your best starting pitchers, then I think that thing's going to take care of itself. So we'll see down the road how that plays out. Of course, you want to get Mike Soroka healthy in the short term. You want to get Max Fried back in the rotation, get him going. And the Braves, of course, would like to see some return on investment from that Drew Smiley signing as well. I don't think he's as bad as he pitched the first few outings. But, you know, when you do have a numbers crunch quite possibly coming up down the line, Drew Smiley is going to need to go out there and start piling up some good appearances in order to justify a spot in rotation for himself. Because at that point, the Braves, regardless of what that salary line says, they're going to have to pick the guy that's going to give them the best chance to win every fifth day. And Waskari Noah, as it stands right now, would most certainly be that guy. But a lot to monitor between now and the time that Mike Soroka will hopefully be rejoining the Braves rotation around midseason. So that's some good stuff happening in the pitching side of things or on the pitching side of things. And now some good things happening on the offensive side of things because we knew as we looked up and down the Braves lineup, we weren't going to see Ronald Acuna Jr. batting 450 and most of the rest of the Braves regulars batting in the low 200s or below for the remainder of the season. And one guy who really, I think, needed to maybe get bumped around a little bit in the lineup and get going was Ozzie Albies. He was batting second for most of the first two, three weeks of the season, and then Brian Snitker decided to go back to the Ronald Acuna Jr., Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna lineup at the top three spots, which has given Ozzie a cool opportunity to bat in the middle of the order, and he really seems to be coming around. He's racking up doubles. He's settling into that spot in the heart of the order, and I don't know, Gabe, if he's going to bat cleanup all the time, but I like seeing him get that chance to contribute in a really big way. It's been really encouraging with him. I think we knew it was a matter of time, but he's looking like he's settled into his game. You're seeing, just like you mentioned, the doubles. Maybe you're seeing the speed. I think that he'll be perfectly fine. I think we all agreed on that. I like him. I do like him lower in the order right now. Um, seems like it's working for him. So he's a huge part of this. When you talk about, you know, Snow always talks about the length of the lineup and everything. Him and Austin Riley. Um, who we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, these two guys are just huge when it comes to just the outlook of how this lineup's going to look. And and you mentioned the NL East earlier, and if Riley is going to continue his upward trajectory and Ozzy's going to be playing the way we know he's capable of, I mean, th- this is the best lineup in the division. Yeah, it really is. And lengthening the lineup is something the Braves talk about. And sometimes you look at it and you wonder, well, what exactly does that mean? And why don't you bat this guy here and this guy here? And over the course of a long season, those things tend to work themselves out. Those changes tend to be made. And I know we're going to get into Austin Riley in just a moment, but at the end of April, which is where we're sitting right now, you are going to start to maybe take an inventory of, hey, what's been working over this first month and it, and what's been working recently as well. I mean, that's obviously important and putting the guys in a position to succeed. But it's been a rough month of April for Travis Darno. It's been a rough month of April for Dansby Swanson. Meanwhile, you got Ozzie Albies kind of coming into his own. He's leading the National League in doubles. And if you go back over the last, what, week or 10 days, uh, Ozzie's doing particularly well for himself as he's batting, let's see, well over 300 in his last 10 games with an OPS well over 1,000, 
And again, racking up those doubles, extra base hits, and putting the bat on the ball, which is always important. That would tell me that a spot in the middle of the order is a good thing for Ozzie Albies to have right now. But as we kind of get into Austin Riley, a couple of weeks ago, there was some rumblings on Braves Twitter. Maybe the Braves needed to bench Riley and start giving it bats to Pablo Sandoval or Adre Adrianza. And I don't know that that's a route I would be going anytime before maybe Memorial Day. And I said it then, and I'll say it again now. Austin Riley needs to be getting that playing time so the Braves can more definitively find out if he's the answer at third base. And like clockwork, Austin Riley started driving the ball, hitting home runs, and simply getting on base in his last 10 games. He's got some slow-pitch softball numbers, Gabe. 483 the average, an OPS approaching 1,500. Three homers, six runs knocked in, 10 runs scored. And another little stat that I like to circle, seven walks, only seven strikeouts. I mean, we've seen Austin Riley maybe having the best period of his career, save when he exploded onto the scene when he was called up in 2019. It's exciting. He's an easy guy to root for, good dude. Um, he's working hard. Like The work ethic has never been a question. Um, he's, he's been working hard to get this right and to see him you know, rewarded with this stretch after struggling so much early. I get people are always going to call for benchings. I mean, that's just natural in every sport, sure. right? I mean, heck, sure. we were even talking about Jake Lamb taking starts from him in spring training, and Jake <laughs> Lamb didn't even make the team. Yeah. So, so it's all, we're always going to be talking about stuff like that. But the Braves really just sink or swim with Riley – that long term, that's the move. Um, they need to know what they have here. And again, we, you know, we've covered this before. But if Riley, he's a streaky player. If this is it, and you know, he winds up falling off again, then you could start looking into third baseman. Or we can talk about all that if the time comes. But you owe it to yourself to be patient here. And so far, the Braves' patience has been rewarded lately. So we'll see if it keeps up. But there's a lot of encouraging trends here with him, and uh, and we'll see. So happy for him that he's got something going on here and he seems much more confident. You know, confidence is obviously a big deal with everybody, but especially yeah. with him again, just like we said with Ozzy, he could be a real difference maker in this lineup as far as just making this the deepest lineup in the NL East. And, and, you know, one of the three deepest in the NL really. Yeah, and going back to that and kind of what I was alluding to when we got into the Austin Riley talk, because I really wanted to get into those stats because they're exciting and they kind of mirror what Ozzy Albies is doing. And then some, with those two guys being as productive as they are, clearly Ozzie has been given a spot in the middle of the order. Riley's still hitting down in that seven spot most nights. I think if you're Brian Snicker, you have to be a little bit tempted with the struggles of Darno and Swanson, especially if that doesn't turn around anytime soon, to maybe give Austin Riley a little bit more responsibility, a little bit higher in the order, don't you? Yeah, look, I've heard some people talking about that. I- I'm open to all of it. This time of year, especially, move guys around if you need to. Just see what works. With well, the way he's playing right now, I think you might be rewarded for it. I definitely think you could. And sometimes you just have to ride the hot hand. That is definitely a part of 162. And it's nothing against Travis Darno and the season he had last year, but that was last year. So you can't hang on to that for too long. And I know for Dansby, he keeps showing those flashes, having that game or two, maybe a, a couple of days in a row where you're like, all right, he's driving the ball the other way. He's uh, hitting some home runs. Maybe this is going to be the start of something for him, but it just hasn't seemed to click yet. And the strikeouts have been a little bit alarming for Dansby this year as well. A lot of baseball left to be played, but I do think if you're Brian Snitker and you've got somebody doing what Austin Riley is doing, you give him a chance to do that with runners on base, you might just be rewarded, and the Braves offense and the Braves fans who are watching this might be very happy with what those results could be. No doubt. So we'll see what the Braves do when it comes to the lineup and Uh, some of the other contributors that they're going to need to get going. And we noticed, I think, in the first two, three weeks of the year that it was slow going for Christian Pache. And then, of course, an injury took him out of the Braves lineup. So the Braves turned to 
Indurinciarte, who finally seemed to be getting himself going and making the most of his opportunity, and then an injury took him out of the lineup. So all of a sudden, the Braves are down to the third spot on their depth chart for center field, and a gentleman named Guillermo Horadia, who was signed as a minor league free agent by the Braves over the winter, just somebody to basically be outfield depth, a fourth outfielder. You know, the way these things seem to go, you need the chance to play in order to show what you got, and Guillermo is getting that. But if you told me that he was going to be the Braves' regular center fielder at any point this season, I would be thinking that a disaster has happened in Atlanta. But all this guy has done in this opportunity is hit, 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 and hit some more. He's batting over 300, uh, well over 400 on base percentage. He showed a little bit of power, and he's playing a really nice center field, Gabe. So it seems like the Braves, just in one of these depth signings, to have somebody with a little bit of big league experience, they kind of found a diamond in the rough here. I feel like every time I'm on here, I'm uh, trumpeting on about how they do this great job with just finding these guys, finding you know a Matt Joyce and a Hechevarria yeah. and getting the most out of these guys, and we're seeing it again. Um, that's that's exactly what this is, and and look, Alex would tell you. I mean, this was all luck. You know, they claimed this guy, and it largely went unnoticed. Mm-hmm. Additional veteran depth, and he gets optioned to minor league camp, and no one really thinks anything of it. And now he comes up here, and he has really saved them in center field. And what he's also done is he's allowed them some patience with Pache too, which obviously they felt was beneficial to have him go down. So, uh, I mean, good for him for making the most of this opportunity. I don't think the numbers are going to stay there sure. over the larger sample, but with the way he's playing right now, I mean, good for him, and he's really helped the Braves at a time that they needed it. Um, so it's a really cool story, and that game he had in Chicago was incredible. So, again, like, we were worried about this team's depth coming into the season, and, you know, you get Pablo Sandoval setting pitch hit homer records, uh, Adrianza, you've got – now you've got Heredia. I mean, they've, they've really made the most of a situation that they admitted concerned them. Yeah, and would you be surprised if I told you in spring training that the Braves' leading hitters right now, just in terms of batting average and actually on base percentage, Ronald Acuna Jr., Guillermo Heredia, and Austin Riley. You would be wondering, <laughs> hey, where in the world is Freddie Freeman? What happened to Ozzie Albies? Hey, Marcelo Zuna, we brought him back. What's going on? But this is kind of how this works in the course of a long season as guys go through hot streaks, cold streaks, and you kind of want to get everybody clicking at the same time, but very seldom does that happen. And we've seen that illustrated here early where – it felt like for a minute it was going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. and a whole bunch of trying to figure out how to jumpstart the lineup. But uh, some guys that needed to step up, some unsung heroes, I guess, to use that phrase, uh, the Braves have found one. I mean, Austin Riley, you were expecting and hoping that he was going to turn a corner offensively this year, but I think he's exceeded expectations lately. But Guillermo Heredia, that's an off-the-radar kind of pick for somebody to contribute to the Braves. And I think it's a good thing that you find these guys, but I think, as you mentioned, and we know, we're going to see Christian Ponche again. We're not expecting to ride Guillermo Heredia into the future of the Atlanta Braves center field situation, but Ponche maybe pressing a little bit. The injury certainly doesn't help, but four for 30 to start the season. You had to inject some offense into this lineup somewhere, and thankfully, Guillermo Heredia answered that call. It was exactly what they needed, and you know, I bring up, you know, I don't know how long it's going to last because... There was a period in 2019 where Anthony Sorzak was the bullpen savior. I remember and that. And that was, you know, what was that, about a month or so, maybe even a little longer around that range. So, again, we don't know how long it's going to last, but this is the kind of stuff you need. I mean, when you're contending, I mean, you're just going to need kind of random guys to play out of their mind for a bit. That's one thing that the Dodgers have always had, mm-hmm. too. So, uh, so in this situation, that's what they're getting. And eventually, yeah, I mean – Ender will come back eventually. I know people kind of roll their eyes at him, but we'll see what happens when he gets back. Pache will 
eventually probably get rolling, and then off, they'll call him back up. He's the center fielder of the future. We expect that he will be starting every day again later this season. So, But Aredio's done everything that I could possibly ask him to do uh, while filling in at this point. Yeah, we're going to see him, of course, at, at some point this year, and I think that'll be a good thing for the Braves. And long term, this is the guy that they're you know, looking forward to having installed in center field. We've talked about the defense over and over and over again, but there was that question coming out of spring training, is this guy going to hit enough? Now, 30 at-bats is not telling me, oh, well, he's not going to hit enough. The injury really is kind of what necessitated this change, at least as early as it was made, but you needed somebody to step in and give them some consistency out of center field. And oddly enough, it was Guillermo Heredia who was a guy that they just called upon and he was able to step in and has been more than the Braves could have possibly asked for. As I look up and down the starting lineup, we've talked about a lot of the regulars. We've mentioned Ronald Acuna Jr. a little bit, but I know that he, I think, dodged an injury bullet with his lower abdominal thing. That might keep him from being as, I don't know, adventurous on the base pass when it comes to stolen bases, but it certainly hasn't slowed him down. We've seen Ronald out there just flashing one of the five tools seemingly every time the camera's on him. He's still able to hit those tape measure home runs. He's hitting the ball hard. He's running the bases well. He's making leaping catches against the wall. A little bit of everything from Ronald. And I saw a little bit earlier on Twitter, who do you think the MVPs are in either league thus far? And Man, Ronald Acuna Jr. got a lot of mention as the early MVP frontrunner of the National League alongside a guy over in the American League named Mike Trout who somehow has managed to have a better start than even Mike Trout could be expected to have. That's a pretty exciting company for Ronald. We've talked about him a lot as being you know one of the best young players in all of Major League Baseball, but when you start to you know really break down what he's accomplished both in his, uh, his strike zone discipline, of course the numbers speak for themselves, it's kind of fun to be having this conversation, not just about potential, but about the fact, hey, the numbers are backing this up. Ronald Acuna Jr., at least right now, looks like the best player in the National League. Yeah, you know, Freddie said a couple weeks ago he's the Mike Trout of the NL. Yeah. And that's the way it's looked so far. I mean, he's just, he's really taken another step forward. He's one of the most exciting players in the game. If you have someone ahead of him, uh, he's in the top three. I mean, he's just, he's must watch TV every time he gets up there. The Braves just, it's awesome that they have him. It's awesome that we get to cover him and talk about him. Uh, it's awesome that the fans have somebody they're going to be able to follow for the next decade who's going to be one of the, you know, 10, maybe even one of the five best players um, in baseball over that, nearly that entire stretch probably. And he's just so dynamic, great personality, just so fun to watch. And, and yeah, I mean, it feels uh, certainly if they're awarding MVPs for April, he's got it. We'll see how it goes over the course of the season, but I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if he wins an LNVP within the next few years. No, I don't think that'd be surprising at all. In fact, I think the Braves would be more surprised if he didn't win an MVP or two over the next, what, eight or ten years that he may be around here. But looking at the numbers right now, leading the National League in runs scored, tied for the Major League lead in home runs. I think it's a Major League lead in runs scored, so let me not sell him short there leading the National League in slugging, OPS, OPS+, plus, total bases, all the things that would go with that, of course. And then if you just start to look at, and I love to do this because the numbers are so cartoonish right now at the end of April, the 162-game projection for what Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing so far this year, this may be a staple segment of the podcast, at least until these numbers calm down a little bit. He's on pace for 205 hits, 57 homers, 127 runs knocked in, 170 runs scored. And he's hitting 341 right now with a nearly 450 on base and uh, slugging well over 700. So it's a trout-type season. It's a Ruthian-looking season right now 
for Ronald. With a lot of baseball left to be played, this is the kind of start the Braves needed from their dynamic young outfielder. And with the rest of the lineup kind of trying to find its footing, whether it be Freddie Freeman, who's showed some signs lately, uh, Marcelo Zuna did get into a couple of balls in the Cubs series and uh, homered on Thursday night. So maybe that's the start of getting him rolling a little bit. But Ronald's certainly been carrying the weight for the Braves in the early portion of the season. So always exciting to see what he's doing on any given night when the Braves are playing a baseball game. Uh, one other thing that came out of this Cubs series that I thought was pretty fascinating, speaking of Freddie Freeman, and just something that was just good old-fashioned baseball fun, and that was Freddie Freeman, the hitter, against Anthony Rizzo, normally the Cubs' first baseman, but called into duty to jump onto the mound and be a position player pitching. And these two are friends. They've got a, a good report that's been going back and forth. We saw the video of the rundown back in the Chicago series up at Wrigley Field between these two when Rizzo was running down Freddie at second base. And that we thought was going to be, well, what a fun little moment there. What a cool video. These guys clearly like each other. They've developed a good relationship over the years. Well, that relationship, I think, is going to make it through this. But we had a lot of fun watching Rizzo, the pitcher, against Freeman, the hitter, the matchup we didn't know we needed. And, Gabe, I can't say that we're going to see Freddie Freeman smiling too many times after a strikeout. But that encounter between those couple of friends is a kind of moment that uh, it can be great in what is a long grind of a baseball season where you just have a little bit of fun. I think that was probably my favorite moment of the season so far. I just loved it so much. Uh, just the pure joy on their faces and laughing. And I mean, obviously Freddie wasn't joyful that he struck out, but it was, he was just having so much fun. Like it, it looked like an exhibition game. You know, you wouldn't have even known it was like a, uh, a game that counts, right? It was, yeah. They were just having so much fun. It looked like you wouldn't know that they were, you know, established all stars with a hundred million dollars or whatever. It was just guys out there having fun and, and, you know, to have those moments, I think it's really good for the sport. And their relationship, obviously, um, it got a lot of national attention with the Frederick thing on the bases. Uh-huh. And then you have that to follow it up. And it's just really cool. It's, it's cool to see um, to see that friendship and just to see how they interact and just to have those moments like that that go on social media and everyone's like, oh, that's awesome. And Freddie's talking about, I wish I hadn't struck out. I'm never going to live that down. And, it was just it was just a lot of fun. I think that just having something mixed in there, it's just the innocence of it. It's just awesome. Yeah, and you know the way Freddie handled that, whereas clearly he doesn't want to strike out, whether it's his friend or not, to a position player that's out there pitching. But I think he knew that this moment was a little bit bigger and a little bit more of just that fun dynamic that it gave the fans some smiles and some laughs, and he handled it in such a great way in his post game availability where. You know, he really just said, this is what baseball's about and sports is about, is putting those smiles on those fans' faces. And whether or not he ended up on the wrong side of this little joke, he was okay with it, and I thought that was just pretty cool. He handled it so well, and we'll see. Maybe there'll be a revenge game at some point down the line. We're not going to see the Cubs again this year unless it happens in the playoffs, but I'm sure Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo have not spoken about that little incident for the final time in what will be a friendship that hopefully for them will continue on past. Anthony Rizzo getting one up on the reigning National League MVP, Freddie Freeman, striking him out in game three of that series against the Cubs. Uh, Gabe, let's get into a little bit of roster news. And, of course, injuries is where we'll start. Uh, good things we're hearing on Max Fried right now. He's trending in the right direction. He's been throwing off the mound, facing hitters, could be back this week. Do we anticipate seeing Max Fried here in the next, what, four or five days to get this rotation a little bit back to normal? Yeah, sounds like he's well on his way. Sounds like it's coming close, and that's, I mean, it's great. Obviously, the first three starts he had, um, they didn't go the way he wanted to. Um, now he's kind of had some time to reset. Uh, he should be, I mean, every, apparently he's feeling really good. 
is the latest update that Snick gave us. So he's feeling good physically. He had a little he had a little time to kind of take a breather and step back after a little bit of a rough start. So you know he got a little bit of a reboot, which is not the worst thing um, as long as he's healthy physically. So he'll come back in, and and if he returns to being the Max Breed that we know, then certainly this rotation is going to be in really really good shape. Just starting with him, Ian, and Anoa, and that's without even mentioning Charlie Morton, who I think is pitching better than his overall numbers indicate. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And let me ask you real quick. We know Max Fried was supposed to be the leader of the Braves rotation this year, that number one starter. But we also knew Max Fried is a guy that takes a lot of pride in his hitting and putting the hamstring injury running the bases aside, which was part of no one's plan this year. We just watched Waskar Enoa blasting a home run in his start the other night. It was really, I called it the Waskar Enoa <laughs> game. It was pretty much nothing that he couldn't do on that night. I went back and looked at Enoa's minor league numbers and then, of course, his very brief big league career. This guy had three plate appearances in the minor leagues, and the only plate appearances he had in the big leagues all happened this year thanks to the DH a season ago. So I don't know if Max Fried is going to want to have a little bit of a hitting competition with Enoa, but Enoa is certainly starting to look a little bit like the natural up there, whereas Freed, I know he wants that home run. And before the DH comes in and becomes a staple part of major league life, which I think is going to happen, Max Fried might want to get that home run out of the way, and he's going to have to overtake Waskar Enoa on the hitting side of things. <laughs> he just might. Yeah, it's uh, and no, yeah, that home run was awesome. I mean, Otani who, right? Uh, he had a, a consecutive multi-hit games. I mean, good for him. Like, everything's coming up roses for him. I mean, he's, he's, uh, so, yeah, uh, Fried will uh, try to get him. Maybe he'll try to hit two home runs and one up him, but unless Enoa hits another one, which you never know. So, yeah, enjoy this stuff while we have it. You know, yeah. I know that none of us – wanted to we all wanted the universal dh pretty much but now that we have pitchers hitting for one more year just just treasure it enjoy whatever we can get out of it now because this will probably be the last time yeah whatever it is let's take it i'll tell you one thing i am not enjoying seeing not quite on the level of pitchers batting this year but position players pitching the rizzo and freeman thing that is when it provides you with a really cool moment but it's crazy to think about the cubs using three different position players to get through the final couple of innings in that game on Wednesday night. But be that as it may, maybe the DH will take care of a little bit of that. We'll find out in the future. But I'm sure Max Fried wants to get at least that one home run. And Waskari Noah, hey, man, don't change. Whatever it is you're doing, just keep doing that because I don't think that they really had any faith in his ability to hit. They kind of just wanted him to stand up there, maybe take a swing here or there if you needed to and learn how to lay down a bunt. But he's been more than they bargained for. I saw that note in the Braves postgame report that the last time a Braves pitcher had back-to-back multi-hit games, it was John Smoltz about 15 years ago. So how rare is multi-hit games for pitchers and back-to-back starts? Well, Waskari Noah just pointed out it's been about 15 years and it continues what has been a really fun month of April for the young Braves right-hander. Other injuries of note, Chris Martin, who's dealing with that shoulder ailment, he's begun throwing to hitters and could be activated soon. Uh, it sounded like that might be really perhaps sometime this weekend. I don't want to jump ahead of the team there but getting chris martin back in that bullpen that could go a long way towards stabilizing that mix they have been missing him big time we're not breaking any news when we see how big it's going to be to get him back he's you know it's crazy they initially thought he wasn't even going to need an il stint and then he started feeling worse with it there, there you have it so it's going to be huge to get him back i call him mr reliability yeah. in there they know what they're going to get he's vital to this group and the bullpen has been up and down 
But when you work Martin back in there, uh, things are going to look a bit different. Yeah, there have been some guys that have shown, I think, a little bit of overuse in the early going, but then again have bounced back in the case of A.J. Minter most certainly. Luke Jackson, it's been a little bit of an adventure, but more times than not, he's given the Braves what they needed, which is scoreless innings, which you'll take in any way, shape, or form you can get them right now. But Martin, it's stability, I would definitely say, is a big part of uh, what he brings to the bullpen. He's a strike thrower, and he's their best right-handed reliever, so you need him back in there, and hopefully that happens very soon. We talked about Mike Soroka a little bit earlier. He has begun playing catch, which is great, uh, but he's been laid up for over three weeks now at this point, so he's basically starting from scratch. I know that the comments from Snit got a little bit blown out of proportion, I think, a week ago when he said, look, it's not even relevant to talk about Mike Soroka right now, but if you're the manager of a Major League Baseball team that's trying to figure out what five guys am I throwing out there, Mike Soroka's name's not coming up anytime soon when he said that over a week ago, but hearing that he is you know, at least throwing again, and with minor league baseball season not too far away, maybe Mike Soroka will be out there on a mound facing some hitters and then getting into some live games down in Gwinnett and rejoining the Braves rotation sooner than later. But I know I'm being optimistic about this. Is there anything that has more cause for concern about Mike Soroka? Or right now, is it simply about checking those boxes and getting him back, Gabe? It's about checking those boxes. They want to be very careful. Obviously, they don't, they don't want anything else to happen to set him back even further, and you wind up losing him for you know nearly the whole season. Uh, so you just have to be careful. It's a really delicate situation. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that about Snit because the, the bottom line is he's having to deal with the players he has. Exactly. And he's worried about getting through, you know, the next road trip, the homestand, the series. Uh, it's no different. You know, Alex isn't sitting up uh, fantasizing about plugging Jose Ramirez into the, you know, <laughs> cleanup spot in his lineup, right? right? So it, it's. So he's not too – he just said it's a, it's a long way away. So, I mean, most of us have kind of said, well, we'll see about June. Hopefully, if there's no setbacks, that'll be the case. And then Snick can legit talk to us about what is the limitation going to be when Soroka comes back, how, how are they going to do that. But certainly the, the biggest thing right now is to just play it safe with him, let him build up slowly, and just, just make sure that there's no other issues. Right, and trust me, nobody wants to be talking about Mike Soroka and the Braves' rotation more than Brian Snitker. He would like to have that every fifth day, most certainly. I know the fans are clamoring for it, looking forward to it, and disappointed, clearly, that he had a setback. But hey, let's just get him healthy and get him in for the dog days of summer. And then, of course, the stretch drive in October. You'd love to have Mike Soroka around for that. He was sorely missed a season ago, and I think he's the kind of impact arm that I know there's a lot of jokes about, oh, it's just like a trade deadline acquisition. Well, it may not be exactly that, literally that, but getting him back is a huge addition for the Braves pitching staff, and we're looking forward to seeing it sooner than later. A couple of moves that were made on Friday before the Braves open up their weekend series. Sean Newcomb is back from the injured list. That's a COVID-related situation. Team didn't really comment on that, but Nuke has been one of the Braves' better relievers as well, so... That, of course, is big to get him back. He has been just breathing fire out of the Braves' bullpen, piling up strikeouts, and I think he could be an impact arm in the pen as well. And uh, also happening, Mike Soroka transferred to the 60-day injured list, which opens up a spot on the 40-man. Bryce Wilson and Johan Camargo go back to the alternate training site, and while you get Sean Newcomb back from the injured list, you're also going to get your first look, perhaps, at Edgar Santana, a righty that the Braves picked up, who had spent some big league time with the Pirates and was pretty good back in 2018, but he's had to deal with Tommy John surgery. He got a PED suspension a year ago, but this is a guy that had success at the big league level. It's another right-handed option to put out in the Braves' bullpen. So I guess, Gabe, we'll kind of see what we got here. And given the way that some things have gone in the early going, the Braves 
they're going to welcome a few additions and a few different faces and names throughout the course of the season to get this bullpen mix right. For sure. And, and with Newcomb, you know, getting him and Chris Martin back, that's going to be huge. All of a sudden, your bullpen is going to look a lot better when you plug in those two guys because, I mean, both of them, I think, could be really, really valuable. And then with Santana, sure. I mean, it's a worthy flyer, right? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't work out and you're, you're out nothing. But he is a guy who's had past success, so uh, why not? Yeah, we'll see how that whole thing plays out. 88 career appearances for Santana, 331, the ERA, and uh, worth just over uh, one in terms of uh, wins above replacement, 1.3 career war. And when you talk about relievers, if you're worth a win, a full win or more above replacement as a reliever, you're pretty valuable considering that he's only thrown 84 career innings. He's been a pretty good big league reliever, but it's been quite a while since he's been a consistent big league reliever thanks to injuries and that suspension that cost him the 2020 season. And uh, speaking of all that and kind of wrapping this up, putting a bow on it, I want to talk a little bit about the National League East standings. And uh, before we get into that, let me just ask you, Gabe, what would you say about the Braves? Kind of what grade would you give them, I guess, in some ways, if you want to do it that way, as they close out the month of April? Injuries, that major factor, slow start is uh, not exactly ideal, but there's still some room to improve on the offensive side, and I really think they're going to. Yeah, um, it's tough because you can't really dock them for injuries. That's not their fault. I would say it's probably about a C-plus start. But, again, like considering what's worked against them, like you could even argue maybe better than that just because – so they're 12 and 13. And when you also factor in like the bad luck they had um, with the hard-hit balls, even yeah. in that Philly series – when you look at the total amount of work, um, it's certainly a pedestrian start. Like, it's underwhelming. There's no doubt about that. But we're talking about the process of 162 games. I don't see reason to be alarmed with this team right now. I would just say the start is underwhelming, but mm-hmm. you can also understand the underperform. Not everyone's going to click opening day on. I mean, the Dodgers have had their share of issues. You know, even the Padres, who everyone's losing their minds after they took three or four, you know, they were swept by the Brewers just before that. Right. So, uh, yeah, so it's not like anyone is just five. I think the, the Royals did have the best record. I, I think they don't anymore, but we'll see. I mean, they could be pretty good, but are they going to be the best team in baseball? I doubt it. Uh, so there, there's just a lot. So you just really have to look at just how the Braves got here. And I think when you do look at how they got here, everything factored in. An underwhelming start, but certainly no reason to be really concerned about anything yet. Yeah, and since the year is not 2014 or 2015, it might alarm you to hear that the Royals and the Giants have the two best records in their respective leagues. Giants with a 640 (laughs) winning percentage as they sit atop the NL West standings. Royals with a 652 winning percentage. Good for them. Uh, You know, getting a lot out of the guys that they have there for Dayton Moore and his club. They've got the best record in the American League as it stands right now. The follow-ups might surprise you a little bit. Boston Red Sox, first place in the AL East. And then you've got the Oakland Athletics heading into the weekend, first place in the American League West. But looking over in these National League standings, I know it's going to be a, a bit of a, I don't know, a pit fight perhaps for who's going to get out of the NL Central. I think the Brewers and Cardinals probably have a leg up on the rest of the division. Pirates have been a little bit surprising. And again, out West, you know, the Giants just ahead of the Dodgers heading into the weekend for the best record in the National League and, of course, the best record in that division. Padres over 500, Diamondbacks over 500, Rockies exactly where we thought they'd be in the bottom of the division. But let's key in here on the National League East standings. The Phillies and Braves sharing first place, Mets as well. A few percentage points behind, but a virtual tie, three-team tie atop the division. Half a game back are the Marlins. One game back are the Washington Nationals. So one game separating the top team or teams 
and the bottom of the division. We knew it was going to be close, but I, if I told you that the National League East, nobody was going to be over 500 heading into the final weekend of the month, you'd probably think I was crazy, especially with the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies at the very least. I had my questions about the Nats and the Marlins and uh, some of the questions that they were going to be facing throughout the season. But this has been a strange-looking bunch of records for these clubs, but they're all pretty much jumbled up, one through five. Everybody's in it right now. Yeah, I think through one month, we know that this is a talented division, but we don't really know that much about these teams yet, right? Yeah. Everyone's still, we're still trying to figure this out. Like, full disclosure, I picked the Braves to win 93 games and win the division. I had the Mets second, I think, at like 89 wins. I do feel like that might be a little high now. I do feel like you might be able to win this division with a lower total. We'll see. Obviously, it's very, very early, and a lot of things are going to change. But it's going to be a super competitive division. I mean, like Miami, who was always the doormat. I mean, just get, you know, the Braves would just beat them around all the time. I mean, they're competent now, right? Um, There's some real talent there. Uh, I think they're trending upward, so good for them. I still think that uh, I still kind of lean that they're the worst team in the division, but I mean, we'll see about Washington. You know, the Washington thing could go could go sideways in July. And Scherzer's on another team, so there is like really wide variance with them. Whereas I think when you look at the Braves, Mets, and Phillies, these teams are going for it. They want to be in the playoffs. Miami has no urgency at all. And Washington could wind up going the other way. So I, I think that there's, there's certainly things that can alter the way that this race looks down the stretch. But right now, for everyone to pretty much be right there, I guess everybody will take it because it hasn't been an ideal start for anybody in this division. No, it really has. And there are two things I would take out of this, though. The first of which being that whether or not the Marlins or the Nationals are going to win this division is kind of beside the point when you think about the fact that based on how competitive this division is, they may be the team that keeps somebody else from winning it because they just can't figure out a way to put away the Marlins or they just can't figure out a way to beat the Nationals. That might be the fate of the Mets or the Phillies or the Braves for that matter. Um, I know you said 93 wins you feel like before the season was what it might take to win this division and maybe a little bit lower now is the way you're looking at it, but I still think it's going to take 95 wins to win the National League East. I'm going to stick by that number. I feel like the Braves are the team that has the best chance to get to that. Of course, we haven't gotten to the trade deadline. Nobody's really gotten hot. Nobody's running away with it yet. A lot of baseball left to be played, as we like to say. But uh, here in the early going, everybody's all jumbled up. Nobody's out of it for right now. But there are a lot of different stories that we're going to be tracking throughout the course of the 2021 season before somebody is crowned NLE's champ and, of course, gets to the business of winning in October, which is what all of these teams are hoping to do. Yeah, no doubt. You look at, especially with the Braves and Mets, if you told me that they did, one of them won the division at 95 games, that would not shock me at all because of their talent. Yeah. This is just so competitive. We'll see. Um, But you made a really good point with Washington and Miami. They could be the teams that could play spoiler. Yep. Uh, in September or even, you know, just look at like even the Braves losing that series to Miami like they did, you know, does that wind up coming back to haunt them? So you can just pick it apart that way. But certainly it's a really deep division. It's a star-studded division. The pitching is excellent. It's a really fun division to follow. It's fun fan bases, fun cities. Uh, there, aren't any, uh, there aren't any Rockies in this division, so uh, that certainly makes it entertaining. <laughs> it definitely does. Let me ask you one more thing as we close out here. When you talk about a fun division and the fans having a good time watching these teams play. A final note for the Braves this week, and I think a fairly big one for obvious reasons. The club announced Truist Park will be at 100% capacity beginning the first week in May. Gabe, that's a pretty big step for the club and the fans and just getting back to normal in a number of ways. 
It is, and, and Snit was really excited about it when he was talking. He just thanked all the fans and said, we're, you know, we're excited to have you guys back. And already, even when it was at 33%, he said the energy, it just felt back. Yeah. You know, the battery, just everything around it just feels so lively. So, yeah, I mean, and maybe that can play into their hands and just further help that home field advantage. I think that it really can. It just feels different when you got the fans there. I've been to a number of games in the month of April myself, and just being out in that atmosphere again, seeing people enjoying themselves, watching a Major League Baseball game live, which is something a lot of us did not get to do last year in terms of in-person. I think people are enjoying that. Of course, we want you to stay safe, make the best decisions you can as to whether or not you want to attend games or how many games you want to attend. But a huge step for the Braves, of course, baseball fans, and perhaps the rest of the world of sports will be following as we get back to full capacity. Enjoy that. Get into the summer and start taking some more steps towards getting back to normal. So definitely looking forward to that. And as always, Gabe, I was looking forward to this show, and it has not disappointed. I appreciate all your time. As always, if you're listening to From the Diamond out there, make sure you're following Gabe on Twitter, at AJC. Always a good time talking about the Braves, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and thank you, everybody, for listening. My thanks, as always, to Gabe Burns for checking in on the show, talking some Braves with me. And my thanks again to you for subscribing to From the Diamond, for following along, for listening, for rating the show. All of that is very much appreciated. If you haven't done any of those things, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews, again, they help out the show immensely. So if you wouldn't mind leaving one of those, telling a friend, sharing the show, I would very much appreciate that. On Twitter, you can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is at From the Diamond underscore. Over on Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond. And all the articles, podcasts, videos, and anything else I can come up with, you can find it at FromTheDiamond.com. So thanks again to Gabe Burns for making some time to talk about what's been going on in the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. And my thanks again to you for making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. I look forward to catching up with all of you next week as we turn the calendar to the month of May, and hopefully the Atlanta Braves bats will wake up and we'll see what that means for the rest of the National League East. That'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond, and until next time, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.